0: Welcome to episode 73 of the J. Bunny's Music Hub podcast. I'm your host, J. Bunny. Well, everybody joining me today on this episode is John Faderuso, the guitarist for the band Blackwater Rising, and formerly of Stereo Mud, and also formerly of The Pain Method. known John for a while and, and talked about having him on the show a long time ago. I was glad to finally make that happen. It was a real... Illuminating conversation? I don't know if that's the right word, but there was a lot that he talks about that I was not aware that he had done or tried to do. Bands and projects that he was involved with or almost involved with. It's a real cool conversation, I think, that you're really going to enjoy. So without further ado, here's John. What's up, everybody? It is J-Bunny. I am here once again at home, once again on Skype, just about to pop open. There we go. Let's do it in the mic. Pop open a beer from Ghost Hawk Brewing in Clifton, New Jersey. Their beer is awesome, and you should drink it if you're a person that drinks. Got Charlie joining me today. who You might remember from uh, a couple episodes back with the Trinity of Terror roundtable and the Discovering Music uh, roundtable episodes. And uh, we're talking today with John Faderuso. How's it going, John? It's going well. How are you? I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good for the first time in. I don't know a month. I have more than one day off <laughs> for the you, last you, you like <laughs> for the last like month, month and a half. I've been working like twelve hours of overtime on Saturdays at work because uh, you know we do the Renaissance Fair, and you now uh, I want to be able to make sure that I can afford to do stuff at the rena like go to and and, and do stuff at the Renaissance Fair this year, you know. I guess it's not the first season since I bought like I bought a house back in September, so it's not like the first fair season since we got the house. But we bought the house at the tail end of of last year's fair season, so I didn't have to budget so much for that. So yeah, just trying to figure it all out. But yeah, I uh, I've been working six, <laughs> 60 hours a week for the last like month and a half, and then finally yesterday I was like, all right, I'm just gonna.
1: I've been doing the same that. thing. <laughs> so you're not alone. I slept uh, five, was it fourteen hours last night for the first time. My wife made me go to sleep at like seven o'clock. I woke up at nine o'clock this morning. Like oh, that? wow.
0: Yeah. See, I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even really take advantage of it. Like we we did a bunch of running around yesterday and then I stayed up till like six in the morning playing Pokemon oh. and then was like, I should maybe go to sleep if I'm going to be having to like do this podcast tomorrow and just generally exist. I should probably get some sleep.
1: I slept. I slept a lot. <laughs> I slept to the point where I woke up angry because <laughs> I think I, I'm not used to that much sleep so I woke up and I was in a mood I was like bye
0: <laughs> all righty so um
1: I first became
0: aware of you back in 2001 when uh, a friend of mine picked up the first Stereo Mud album, Perfect Self, I don't actually know, like, I think it was just, I, I don't know that he had heard of you guys before either. I think that he had just, I'm not really sure what what inspired him to get it, but he got it and we always used to carpool together to high school at that point and then later college and like would be introducing each other to, to bands. And so that's how I became aware of you guys. Can you tell me a bit about your journey in music up until the point of, of Stereo Mud getting together?
1: Oh wow! Uh, let's see. I was in a thrash band on Long Island called uh, Altered Vision for about '91. This is with Odie McLaughlin as well from, from uh, Blackwater Rising. From Blackwater. So he and I started that band. We were, you know, we were kids. We were, eight, I was 18, something like that, and then uh, that went on till probably '94 and you know you don't start a thrash band and try to like get into the the business while grunge is the uh (laughs) the preference at the time you know you just but it was like well we're not playing that so we just kept doing our thing and you know we would get opening gigs with propane and uh life of agony and you know we machine head was a big one for us back in the day and uh we were doing well but we were getting rejected all across the board because everyone was going grunge and alternative so it was you know the other two guys in the band didn't really they wanted to do it but they were too playing it safe i guess like you know I was like let's just go and tour you know we're young let's just do it let's get a van and just start playing shows as much as we can and they were kind of like well what about our jobs I was like, I thought you wanted to do this, though. Your job is to fund this. And it just never happened. And then I was starting to get frustrated because I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm putting all my time into something that's, you know, two guys are dedicated and two guys are kind of half in, half out. And I was like, this is not what I want to do. But we, you know, we got involved with a, a bad manager. It was just stealing our money from us but the good thing that came from it was he got us out to uh i don't know if you guys remember the uh foundations forum out in l.a every year it was just a huge music festival bands play i mean every band you could think of playing but it was mostly metal and it was awesome whole industry all everyone there was no we're here and you're here. It was always just, you know, unsigned bands, signed bands and everyone just hanging out. And cause they used to have it at the Burbank uh, Hilton. So it was just convention centers in there. Just, you know, they'd have shows in there at night and during the day bands would play. Everyone would go to the bar. It, it was awesome. So we did that in I think 94 and we had been friends with Bobby Gustafson violence now previously of overkill and out of nowhere he just comes walking into my hotel room and i hadn't seen him in about two years and comes walking in with tom hunting from exodus and i'm looking at tom and i'm like well, i know you've moved somewhere yeah i'm tom hunting i was like hey you're the exodus drummer i was like awesome i'm like wait a minute why are you guys here together and tom, they're like oh we're in a band together and that band was uh eye for an eye and i was like oh bobby you went out to san francisco i was like cool man so they had their demo and they were showing it around but they had recorded it with tom on main vocals and he was also obviously the drummer and they were looking for a singer and at the time i was rhythm guitar vocals and we were pushing our band but i was kind of looking around i would guess you would say and uh, one night they uh, during this convention they asked me you know hey we're going into town to go get a burrito you want to come with us but it was just the three guys in the band at the time and me And I'm like, this seems, why are they just asking me? I was like, all right, yeah, screw it, let's go. So I get in the car, we go get a burrito, and they start playing me their demo. And it was really good. And I'm like, who's this singing? They're like, this is Tom, but he doesn't want to be the front man, and we don't want to be a three-piece with the drummer as the singer. So we're kind of looking for someone. I was like, ah, cool. They're like, we heard your demo, and we don't want to be snakes or anything, but what's going on with your band? I was like, well, I'm really not happy with it. So they're like, well, would you be interested in coming out and singing for us? I was like, are you kidding me? And they're like, no, they're like, come, you know, learn the songs and come on out, check it out. So I was like, all right. So I ended up ultimately coming home, quitting my band and joining that band and going out to the Bay Area for about a month. But I was playing bass and singing. So we did one show and then the next day I was going home to pack up my stuff and move back out there. And, uh, Something happened with the the, the the other guitar player and it was kind of one of those aha moments where it's like, you know what, this guy is a founder of the band, you know, so but he was something was just not right about his vibe with the other guys and me. And I was like, I'm not moving my whole life for to deal with this, you know, I was like, I deal with this enough back home. So I went home and I just I didn't go back bobby ended up coming back to new york and we started to jam me him and Odie couldn't really get a drummer and then bobby ended up going off and joining uh i think it was the band screw that was out at the time and then i carried it back on with my original band with Odie, and we got the original guys back and we we lasted maybe three years on and off and Then we just put it to bed because it just wasn't doing what we wanted it to do. Some guys didn't want to experiment with newer stuff and different, just a different type of heaviness, I guess you would say. So we put it to bed and then um, I just started going to shows alone, just going out and just promoting myself to bands, whoever, you know, and if Irving Plaza, if someone was playing, I'd go. And if the sh- after the show, I would just hang around till I saw them loading out or whatever. And I would notice maybe they had one guitar player. And I'm like, you guys need a second guitar player. And I would just do stuff like that, just to throw my name out in the mix. And then um what happened? I think I joined one local band out here with Odie. He was jamming with some dudes and it was going cool. It was cool stuff. But again, it was a couple of guys didn't really have their shit together. They were, you know, into drugs and I was like, I can't. You know, I was like, this is going to keep me on Long Island forever if I just keep going back to this this same shit. And then one day I get a phone call. I don't know if you are aware. Do you? Uh, are you familiar with Nick St. Dennis? Used to be guitar player for Propane. Played bass for Systematic on their first record. Um, so the
0: those bands ring a bell, but not the specific name.
1: All right, well, he was a really good friend of mine. When he was in propane when he lived out here, we hung out all the time. And then he went back to the Bay Area because that's where he's originally from. Left propane, went back to the Bay Area, but we always we always kept in touch. And uh he calls me one day and just says, Hey man, I don't know if you heard Logan Logan quit Machine Head. And I was like, Really? It's like that's odd. I was like, Dave, that's like, Yeah, maybe I'll try out for Machine Head. And he goes why don't you? And I was like, you know what? Why don't I? <laughs> so I had uh, I had met Rob uh, Flynn '94, and through mutual friend of ours, you know, I he went on tour at Slayer in Europe, and his his girlfriend then, his wife now, needed someone. They were moving, so I was out in the Bay Area. This was when I was playing with Eye for an Eye. I didn't do anything all day. I just kind of laid around and slept all day. I'd get up and do nothing and go to practice, and uh, I was living at this woman, Debbie Bono's house. And if you haven't heard of her, Google her. She was like the heavy metal, everyone's mother. She was the manager of pretty much everybody in the Bay Area. She's She was 65 at the time. She passed away a few years back. But uh, she was just the manager of managers in the Bay Area and well-respected across the entire world, pretty much. And uh, so she took me in and I would just... After the eye for an eye thing, I always went back out and visited her and her family every year. I would just go back out for like 10 days and just hang out there and stuff. And uh, I made a lot of friends. And through her, I got to know Rob a little bit and his wife, then girlfriend. And when they said uh, we were all out to dinner one night and his girlfriend was like oh i need someone to help move the house and she's like well he'll help because he doesn't do anything all day (laughs) so i had to go over he went to europe to go tour and i'm moving his shit from one house to another but that's how i got to know him so through that a few years later i put the word out and um just i guess email was like a new thing i wasn't i didn't have email or anything and i had someone at work throw an email out to their um their fan club and saying, hey, man, you know, I'm a distant friend of Rob's or, you know, we know each other through so-and-so and looking to try out what's going on with with uh, auditions. So through that email, he had called Debbie and asked about me. She's like, you remember him? You know, he's the guy who helped move your house. He's like, oh, yeah, that dude. He's like, OK. So like, give him these five songs to learn, blah, blah, blah. So I had just happened to be going out like in two days from that day for my vacation to go visit so she calls me up and she's like all right you're gonna be out here tomorrow right and i'm like yeah i was like uh you heard logan quit machine head. she's like yeah you're auditioning i was like what are you talking about i was like well i want to i was like can you put a word in she's like it's already done you're auditioning next friday i was like what <laughs> i was like what are you talking about she's like rob called you sent an email he asked me you know he called me to ask about you to see you know who you were and there's I refreshed his memory so here are the five songs you need to know here's the tunings learn them I was like oh my and then I just I kind of freaked out because I was like this is this really happening you know the last couple of years have been just nothing so I go out on vacation my vacation basically turned into 10 hours a day in the back bedroom with my headphones on practicing the, the five songs I had to learn and then at night I'd go out have a couple of beers with my friends and then you know uh, everyone knows everyone in the Bay Area. It's real tight knit community. Everyone's friends with everybody. So if I needed a hey, this part on this song, do you know what the hell they're doing? I can't hear it. Probably you know. So they'd all, yeah, you know, they were all rooting me on. It was it was awesome. So out of like, I guess from what they told me, I guess they tried out about 50 dudes. I was the first guy and I was like, What? So, <laughs> so you're like, all right, not only are, are you trying out for, you know, one of your favorite bands and, and, you know, they put out burn my eyes and the more things change and then they're going into their third record. And it's like, you're going to audition. And it's like, what the, what the hell did I just get myself into? But I'm like, I know these songs, you know? So I, i I, I just did the, uh, mentally, I did the Jason Newstead thing. Like, I'm getting this gig. You know, I'm learning as many songs as I can learn. So I think I learned like 13 songs, but I had the five that I was required to know. Like, like, I had them down pat. So I go in, I do my audition. But what was very strange and very nerve-wracking was while I'm in the room setting up my stuff or whatever. They had gear there. I'm just setting up my guitar with the pedals and tuning up door opens and Gary Holt comes walking in. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, and I already, knew, I already knew Gary. I was already friendly with Gary. But he goes walking in like, what's up, guys? I'm like, oh, no, Gary's here. I was like, shit. Comes in, you know, and Exodus at the time wasn't, wasn't uh, active. So he was looking, you know, he, he auditioned. But I was like, oh, no, it's Gary Holt. I was like, this guy's like the best guitar player on earth. I was like, man, oh, well, I'm not getting this, you know? So, I, <laughs> but he comes, what's up, Johnny? Oh, good luck, man. I was like, all right. So, Rob throws whoever out of the room. So, Gary's out in the hallway waiting with one other dude, I guess it was. I played the five songs, and I was the first dude they played with since Logan left the band. So, they're like, oh, and so to have more pressure put on you, they're like, oh, just so you know, you're the first guy we're playing with since Logan mm-hmm. left we haven't ever jammed with any other guitar player since logan i'm like oh great thanks make me more nervous you know <laughs> but uh yeah it was awesome you know i jammed it 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 was amazing and then i obviously i didn't get the gig but um let's see what you know after that i get back to debbie's the phone rings and it's gary i'm like what's up dude he's like Oh, Yo, you sounded good, blah, blah, blah. I screwed up on this part. I forgot to do this. We had to start it over. And I was kind of like in my head, like, all right, you screwed up. You know, Gary Holt <laughs> doesn't Gary doesn't screw up. And if he does, you would never know, you know. So he's like, dude, you sounded good. Cool, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I fly home the next day and I just randomly, you know, I got drunk the next night with my friends back at home. And I told uh, my buddies out there, they were playing a gig in, in uh, the Bay Area. I was like, I'm going to call you guys at the club at this time. So it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, New York time, 12 midnight, I guess, their time. And I called the venue from payphone, drunk as shit. And I called them up, and I'm asking whoever answered the phone, like, can you put anybody on the phone from this band? And lo and behold, they get on the phone, like, I can't believe you called. They're like, hey, man, Robin Adams just showed up. You're going to get this gig. I'm like, don't tell me that. They're like, they loved you, dude. They're like, you're like the talk of the town. I'm like, do I? I'm like, stop. They still got a long way to go with rehearsals and stuff. And they're like, dude, they loved you. They thought you cried. I was like, all right, great. So fast forward like a month or so, whatever. You no, know, it, it was boiling down to who they're going to pick. And it was like me, Aru, and I think there was another guy's name thrown in the mix. But uh, I think it ultimately came down to me and Roo, And Aru and you know, living out there. And I think that made it a little easier. And then, you know, so they picked Aru. I get the call. But I still, I moved back out there. And through that tryout, I'm at uh, Rob's house one day for his birthday party or whatever. And we're all just drinking. And uh, Dave McClain comes walking up. And he's like, uh, hey, man, I got something for you. So he hooks me up with Ross Robinson and Vanilla Ice. Remember when Vanilla Ice put out the heavy record? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that people don't know I've done over the years and people (laughs) I've jammed with and stuff. So Dave starts telling me at this party, like, well, me and Ross Robinson are best friends. We grew up together, blah, blah, blah. I heard it, and he wouldn't tell me who it was. And he's like, "I I heard it. It's heavy. You can do it. Just learn the record. I'm like, well, who is it? He's like, well, hold on a minute. Let me just explain. The record's done. Sonny Mayo did guitars, you know, Shannon Larkin did the drums. And I'm like, oh okay, well, there's some credibility here because the vanilla ice thing wasn't really selling it to me, you know. Well, I right. didn't know actually. He was just throwing the names at me of who played on it. So Ross Robinson, obviously. I'm like, All right, I'm interested, but who is he? And then he tells me, he's like, Vanilla Ice. And I saw laughing in his face. He's like, No, 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 dude, you don't understand. I went down there and I I I heard it and I met him and he's cool. And you're literally gonna get paid the just tour and he's got all these toys jet skis all this. that you're gonna have a blast and so i called ross he sent me the record i liked it and at the time i think it was 1998 so it was the in thing you know that style and all that stuff so i learned the record i go down to la and i it was basically They told me straight up like, okay, Dave said you could do this and you learn these Machine Head songs in X amount of time then you're you're the guy. So I'm assuming I'm the guy. Go down to L.A. I start rehearsing with the bass player and some drummer kid. And uh, I guess it turned out we were auditioning drummers, but Vanilla Ice wasn't there. He was in Miami and we were going to like get the band together and then go to Miami and rehearse with him. But the bass player, there were two bass players on the record. I think uh, one was like lead bass, did all these weird effects, and the other guy just kind of held down the rhythm. But in this moment, it was just me, the lead bass player guy, who was kind of recruiting everybody. So long story short, he screwed me over. He got all his friends from L.A. in the band that he knew. I didn't end up doing it. And I went back to the Bay Area, ended up moving back to New York, and then maybe – Ten, nine months later, eight months later, I ended up joining Stereo Mud because I think my same buddy Nick from the Bay Area being in propane and obviously the drummer from Stereo Mud, Dan, was in propane. He was looking for a guitar player, another guitar player other than Joey. And he called Nick and Nick threw my name at him. And I had already known Dan. We lived close by from each other. I knew him from back in the day and He's like, him? Really? He's like, dude, he just did this, 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 and this, and all these guys and whatever. He's like, call him up. So he called me. I went over to his house, listened to the demos, and I was like, this is great stuff. And I met Eric that day when I went over to pick up the the tape. It was actually on tape. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was it, man. And I was like, you know what? Enough of this trying out. This is my gig. I'm getting this gig. <clears throat> so I... Did what I had to do, and then that was it. And then that's how that led me up to that point. That was Stereo Mud, and then that took over the next five years of my life, I guess. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. And before we get into the Stereo Mud, I wanted to do that. You mentioned already Eye for an Eye and Altered Vision. On the Wikipedia page for Stereo Mud, it lists the, the band members, and it lists other bands they were in or whatever so for you it listed eye for an eye and altered vision who who i'd not been familiar with and it also listed war dance five-year stare and Zyre's war i I don't know those bands either can you tell me a bit about them okay war dance
1: i left out uh, i forgot a little section before the vanilla ice thing happened in between the me moving to the bay area you know and uh the vanilla ice thing there was i don't know good I got out there in June of 98, so Rob's birthday party was in July, so this was probably the end of July, beginning of August. So in between June and August, I was jamming in a band called Wardance, which were three-fifths of Exodus. It was Jack, Gary, and Tom Hunting, and the singer John, I always go blank on his last name, but he never actually rehearsed with us. Something was going on with him where he couldn't be there. But through the machine head thing, my name kind of got around in the Bay Area and me already being in a band with Tom a few years earlier. The night I got to San Francisco, I drove cross country, got there and settled my stuff at the house that I was staying at. And I get a phone call saying, oh, there's a uh, bachelor party tonight in Oakland. You're going. Come on out. So I was like, no. So I go to this bachelor party and everybody's there and tom's there he grabs me and he goes dude you're joining our band i'm like who he's like i already called gary and told him gary's down in la for a couple of days but i already told him and then, like i said i already knew gary but he, he, they're like you're joining our band i'm like all right so i started jamming with them but at the time they're it, it, what was this guy's name? John something. Oh, shit. I forget his name. But he, I, I knew him from when I lived there previously. But he, he was a good dude. So we started jamming. And it just something wasn't right. Something was off. And then Exodus started getting – because they had reformed in 97 with Paul Bailoff to do the reunion thing. But Gary came in one day saying, oh, we got an offer to go to uh, South America to do Exodus shows. But Rick was, you know, MIA. He was having some struggles in life and Bailoff was having some struggles in life. So Gary looks at me and goes, dude, why don't you just do it? I'm like, what, Exodus? And he's like, I was like, do you really think that they want the original? You know, I think they want the original. I don't think they're going to want like Exodus and some dude on guitar taking Rick's place. He's like, ah, it'll be fine. You know, he's like, we'll get Zetro back and then you play guitar and we'll go. And obviously it didn't pan out. And, uh, you know, and I think Tom and Gary were having a few struggles back then with, with some things. And I got thrown the vanilla ice thing. And I was like, you know what? It, it was like a no brainer. It's like, stay there and jam with them and do nothing probably because of everyone's personal stuff going on. And I was like, you know, I'll do the vanilla ice thing, but that again didn't happen. And what's funnier is they, they, I don't even think, I think they went out on the road, the vanilla ice thing. Didn't do very well, but the guy that screwed me over, oddly, ended up being the bass player for Puddle of Mud on the, I think, the first two records. Okay. And, uh, we had done some shows with them and then through stereo mud I ended up meeting vanilla ice in Dallas one night and told him what happened. He's like, I know your name, and he calls the bass player. Oh, I'm sitting hanging out with Matt Russo. And I'm drunk. You know, but uh that's where War Dance fit into that little equation. It was in between the machine head tryout and the vanilla ice thing and stereo mud. Okay. Just it was it was a hot minute, man. We would go jam for a little bit and but uh I think one of the songs ended up on Tempo of the Damn. Throwing down da- throwing down. Yeah. Throwing down was a war dance song turned Exodus. Okay. So yeah, that was that. And Zaire's War was Joey Z's solo band. After Stereo Mud, Life of Agony he had gotten back together, and they were playing out here on Long Island one night. So obviously me and Joey's, you know, he's one of my best friends. So you know, I go to hang, brings me to his car, and he's like, Listen to this riff. This had to be 2005 maybe he plays me this riff I'm what like, the hell is that he's like dude i put a bass string on my guitar and i tuned it down really low and he had this one riff written it was so heavy uh, and he's like yeah i'm gonna do a solo project and i'm gonna call it zire's war and he had the name for a long time he had that one riff always just stood out in my head and i was like okay cool so he started jamming a few years later i guess he was just Putting ideas down, I guess. I, I don't. I don't remember how it came together, but I remember we went out to dinner one night. We're hanging out, and he was showing me after dinner. We went back in his house, and he was showing me video of him jamming with uh, the bass player and the drummer. And I'm watching, and I'm like, "You, you just keep it a three-piece." He was like, "Yeah." He's like, Five I had a guitar player. He's like, "Obviously, you know, I'm gonna call you." He said, "But I don't know. I think I, I, I kind of like the three-piece vibe." So I guess he jammed with them for a good year or two before they even asked me you know and then one day I get a phone call he's like hey come over for lunch I'm like all right which was odd just to go over for lunch I go there and it's just him and the other two dudes in the band and uh the four of us are sitting around the table just having sandwiches eating talking and he was gauging the vibe in the room you know he went to see if I vibed with the other two dudes the bass player i already knew because he was in a local band uh, misery and the drummer felipe torres he's a jersey boy he was there and me and him hit it off immediately he was the friendliest guy great drummer and just from the vibe with me and him i was like i'm gonna somehow i'm gonna end up jamming with this kid whether it's in this band or something else i was like but there was just something about him that was really cool and then they they basically just you know you want to be in the band? And I was like, yeah. So, <laughs> and that's how Star's War happened. We did a, a handful of shows and then uh, LOA got called back to, you know, they went and decided they wanted to do a new record and so they went off, did their records So I got kind of on the back burner and then LOA just kind of carried on doing their thing, you know, they, they were picking up steam again and putting records out so that kind of went on the back burner and I don't know if that's going to happen again or not. I'm not, Sure. Last time I talked to Joey, he said he wanted to still do it again, but I don't know if it's going to be the same lineup. I think it might be a different lineup. I think, I think he would ask me, but I think as far as bass and drums, I don't know if it would be those two guys or not. I'm not quite sure where, where his head is with that, but he's pretty busy right now. Anyway, he's over in Europe. I think he's still over there doing the festival run. So, but, uh, supposed to see him when he gets home but Mm -hmm. that was the dyer's war war dance
0: and then what about five year stare
1: that was the first band i put together after stereo mud i took kind of probably two year break after stereo mud i didn't wasn't sure if i wanted anything to do with the industry the mute and anything i was like i just The stereo thing was kind of like, you know, one of those soul crushing experiences where it's like you're riding high. It's like we were in the industry. It was kind of weird. It was like I joined the band and every person in the music industry was up our ass. Like everybody. It was like we were like the most well-known unsigned band within the music industry world where labels and managers. It was weird. And when it broke up, it was like, who are you? I was like, are you kidding me, man? I was like, wow, the people that really that worked in the industry that really wanted a piece of what we were doing. All of a sudden doesn't know. Oh, they just kind of blow you off. If you show you are just some yesterday's news type guy. It was pretty odd, man. Some people were not. But some of the people that at the beginning of the stereo mud trip, when we weren't signed, that were hangarounds. Just Always around, we go to the bar after rehearsal or do a gig and go to the. We hung out at this one particular bar in the city, everyone and their mother would show up. And I'm like, all these people are all like AR reps or just people in the industry. And it's all of a sudden you see them at a show and they just kind of give you like the oh, here, yeah, what's up? The, the head nod, what's up? They don't, they're not, they're not as happy to see you anymore, you know. But uh, five year stare thing, it's just one day I pick my guitar up. I didn't want to write radio friendly music anymore. I, I kind of did that game. And it, like I said, it, it's it's a game. You start off one way and then through coaxing from A&R reps, management, you know, you got to write a hit. You got You know, that was the time of the big, you know, the radio hit songs to get a band popular. And I didn't want to write formulated songs anymore. I didn't want to write verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know, and. Heavy here, singy there. I was like, you know what? I'm a I'm a Bay Area thrash head, you know. I love thrash metal. And it's like, and I really don't care if it pays the bills. I'll go to I'll I'll work. I don't care. You know, I'm not above working. So I still I wrote this one riff that was just a chunky, heavy riff, and I was like, oh, that's gonna be the first song I write for a new band. So I grabbed one of my closest friends, uh Frank Canino. He was uh, in a band called Scrape not the scrape that you know with will hunt a different scrape but they had changed their name to scar culture they were more like death metal type vibe but he i've known him since i'm 15 and he was my go-to bass player guy i was like dude you want to do this he's like yep then i grabbed one of my oldest friends from school that i hadn't seen in like 20 plus years we got in touch through myspace and he popped over my apartment and i played him the one riff and he's like dude i'm down let's play so the three of us found a drummer and we started playing and that became five years there and we did i don't know maybe six shows and the drummer flaked on us and then we had a hell of a time trying to find a drummer for that and every guy that came in just it's like what's wrong with you guys it's like here's the riff play your drums it's not hard and we just Started taking very long breaks in between rehearsals. And and then through my old light guy, Jeremy Blackwater, called me up and said, hey, I heard you are looking for something. I was like, yeah, it might be. So I went down to their studio and it was Rob and Mike. And I walk in the door and I hadn't seen Mike. Mike used to play for Boiler Room. And uh, Rob I had never met, but he was in that band Dust to Dust. And uh, yeah, he had a whole record written. You know, and I walk in the studio and Mike's like, ah, what's up, man? You know, you yeah, sit down. Then I smoke a joint with them. I sit down and they're like, all right, how are you feeling? I'm like, oh, I like, I feel good. I'm good, man. They're like, sit down. They just hit play. And the minute I heard the music start, I was like, oh, wow, this is heavy, but it's catchy. The vocals are, are people aren't singing like that these days. You know, everyone's screaming or doing something else. And I looked at Rob and I'm like, is that you singing? Yeah. I was like, your talking voice doesn't fit your singing voice, man. I was like, this is great. And then I was like, I'm in, man. Give me the album. I'll learn this stuff. I'll come back next week, you know, and that's what happened. And then that became Blackwater. Then we needed a bass player. So tried out a few guys, but in the back of my mind, I was like, Odie's the guy. This has Odie written all over it. I mean, Odie had been out of touch for a few years, just personal problems that you know we had with each other. And uh I had gotten back in touch with him. So I asked, him was like, where's your head out these days? You know, I was like, you still playing bass. And he's like, well, I'm trying to get back into it. I don't know if you know, I was like, well, I just joined this band and it's your gig, dude. Um like this is if there was ever a, a, a musical just that had your name written on it, I'm like, this is your wheelhouse, man. I was like, just listen to this. So I played it for him. So I brought him down. He learned, I think, like three songs maybe, and then we wanted to be sure, and he nailed them. He played them perfect. He left. They gave him three more. He came back, played the three more. Basically, we had him learn the whole album in three different shifts, and then he started getting a little frustrated, like, dude, what's going on? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, this is how it works, man. You got to learn. We got to find out if you're the guy or not. I was like, it sounds good. He's like, well, what are they saying? I was like, they like you, you know? And he's like, well, I already learned the whole record. I was like, how many times do I have to keep coming back? I'm like, come back the next time. So the next time he came back, they're like, yeah, welcome to the band. And then that was it. We were off and running. And and uh, now I'm back in the band after uh, Mike knows how many years I was out. I don't remember. Eight years, maybe?
0: Yeah, something like that. And, and I definitely want to touch on that. In a bit, but I do want to circle back to to uh, Stereo Mud first, and I just want to find out from you about sort of how that band came together, how that band formed. I didn't know until years later, you know, after the the advent of Wikipedia and all that, <laughs> that uh, that there was a connection to Life of Agony. I had no idea that you know a couple yep. of the band members had been in Life of Agony, and it seemed like they were, as far as again, as far as Wikipedia tells it, it seemed like you know Life of Agony they they weren't with with Mina at the at the time they had gotten rid of the other guy they were maybe thinking of doing it with somebody else on vocals and then and they brought Cory in and it sort of seems to have as far as I can tell sort of turned into stereo mud but can you tell me from from your point of view how that all came to be
1: everything you said was pretty much all true I think so what happened they oh man Okay, so Life of Agony. They did uh, Soul Searching Sun, the third record with Mina. I think when Weeds came out. Now this this is where I'm fuzzy. Weeds had come out and it was doing really well, like really well. And they were getting offers. I from like like I said, don't quote me, but this is from what I remember the story being. They were getting really good offers worldwide, like. I think they would have been over in Japan and Australia there for the first time ever just based off of the strength of that single and they were getting offers from what I recall the story being was Mina Keith at the time was uh, I think he got I think it was too much for him to handle I guess at the time I guess I, I, I from what I recall. I heard a story that he wanted his money up front, but again, that's all, that's their business. I don't know how true that is, but it just turned out that they had to cancel all of that stuff. So it kind of just dead stalled them, I guess, uh, you know, and they had a killer record. It came out obviously. And then I, next thing I know that they they got Whitfield from ugly kid Joe singing for them. And I'm like, feel crane for one week show I was like how is that gonna work? I was like he's some you know he's an LA surfer dude you know I was like Flife of Agony. they're like Brooklyn you know New York I was like how is that gonna even work? And I saw them open for Megadeth at the Hammerstein and he was amazing, he was amazing, I mean, when I, I was, I was side stage, because I had to do something for Negative that, that day, or whatever, but again, I knew Joey and Dan, I'm watching them, and he goes out on stage, and I'm thinking, oh my god, the ugly kid Joe guy is going to sing for Life of Agony, he came out, I was like, oh my god, he's got a, re- he's got a great voice, I'm like, this guy could sing, he's not an MTV pop video joke guy, he, this guy's the real deal, he could sing, you know, and it sounded amazing. The crowd went freaking ballistic. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, this guy, this might be, like, the best show I've ever seen Life of Agnes play. He gets off stage. I'm like, I told Joey. I was like, listen. I was like, I know, you know, I know he's your cousin and all. But this guy just killed it. He was like, dude, tell him that. Thank you. I told him. I'm like, dude, that was amazing, you know. And so they, I guess they did their Ozfest run that year and did well. And, and uh, when it was getting time to write new material i think it just wasn't happening i don't know i i don't remember if he just was being lazy and not doing his job or it just wasn't coming out the way they pictured it you know because live and live and in the studio are two completely different things you know you could be out on stage and the guy's amazing live but then when it comes to writing it's like well he doesn't they write about specific things you know and this guy's a uh a millionaire living in LA, he moved out here. You know, it's like, what, how does that work? What do you write about? What you going to write about? You know? So I don't know if, you know, so that's the way I see it, but I think they just, it wasn't jiving, something wasn't working. So they were like, all right, we're going to get rid of them. So I think they fired him, and I don't, I don't know if they, it wasn't any bad blood cause they're all still friendly. So here's where Corey and all this other stuff come into play. They, I think Alan was going to switch over to main vocals and they called Corey up to play bass. And now Corey had, I think, just left Stuck Mojo because he wasn't happy in that situation. And he had just come off tour with, I think, Seven Dust and Clutch because I was in the Bay Area and I went to that show. It was Mojo, Clutch and Seven Dust. And I got introduced to Corey that night real quick briefly like you know hey what's up man and then fast forward a year and i'm in a band with him. so he had left he he i think he had two songs written for something that he had written out on that tour he was on he had a vision in his head of starting a new band and he quit mojo but then loa needed a bass player because alan was going to switch to vocals from what i understand and they were like hey let's call corey we toured with him in Europe, and he was awesome. They all got along, so they called Corey. So he came up, and I, I, they started jamming, and I think I don't think Corey was too into Alan, or I don't know what happened there. I don't know. As far as Alan singing, I don't know if it was working out. I'm, uh, again, I don't know. the. I, from what I understand, Corey was like, nah, I got these two songs, and he grabbed Dan and said, hey, man, this isn't working out you know but i want to be in a band with you guys but you know i got these two songs and i got a singer down in atlanta that would uh be perfect so i think they quit dan and corey went and they were going to go start stereo bud and uh you know joey and alan are like brothers you know and and they told joey and he was like dude what do i do i can't do this to alan and he, you know this joey told me he was like For two weeks i didn't answer the phone he was like i i was you know, he he didn't know what to do. You know, he's like, life agony's it's going to be over. We're going to put this to bed, and I'm going to go just leave Alan and join these two guys. And they kept like, come on, Joey, Joey, what's, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I think they played him a song with, the, with Eric on it. I think they sent it down to Eric, and he put vocals on it, and they played it for him, and Joey was like, got to do it. So, boom, that's – That's how Stereo Mud started. And then they had Mark Chaussey, who used to play for Fight. And I forget what he was in after. Manson, maybe? I think it was Manson. He was the other guitar player, but I guess he didn't. Great dude, amazing guitar player. And I guess it just wasn't working out with him. And then that's I got the phone call to come pick up a tape, learn, whatever, and write your stuff over Joey's stuff. And and then that's how that happened. <laughs> and then and it was like, okay, here we are, you know? And then it did what it did. And then Stereo
0: Mud ultimately released two albums, but yep. broke up shortly after the release of the second album, Every Given Moment, that came out in yep. 2003. What Correct. what happened there that caused the band to split?
1: Oh, what didn't happen? No. Uh, <laughs> you'll hear five different stories of how that went down maybe 4 because me and Joey were kind of like a unified force on that one it was uh it was the hardest decision to ever make for me at least it was like it was tough man it was the first record came out and pain went you know top 10 all over the place and it was like wait a minute we're top 10 on billboard with pain single you know on radio and we're Right in the middle here, I think it was six. I think it went to six in the top ten on Billboard, uh, like, you know, your mainstream rock radio. The song was blowing up like crazy. And record sales were not reflecting the size of, you know, you know what I mean? It was like Stained put out that one Fred Durst ballad, whatever the hell that song was called. And outside that was it. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, they're selling millions of records. Just based off a, a song. And it's like, all right, Linkin Park put out, uh, you know, uh, you know, what's that song? Everything You Say to Me. One Step and Closer. That's the one. Boom. They're selling, you know, millions. And then it just kept snowballing from there. And it's like, all right, Pain comes out. Boom. The song is huge. And it's right there in the middle of all these bands. Linkin Park. We were up in the top ten with Godsmack, Linkin Park, Stained, Tool, and there's us right there in the middle. And we get a phone call from Disturbs manager cause he was kind of, he wanted to manage us and we ended up going with the wrong management company in my opinion. He would call us pretty much weekly and just like, hey guys, what's up? Top 10 record, I mean, top 10 uh, single. But record sales aren't following the single. Who's not doing their job? Call me back <laughs> and even just drop little stupid things like that on us. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? It's true, why is the song so big and popular being played everywhere? I mean, we're playing radio festivals where we're number one in that market where yeah, you know, and it just but record sales are not not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and why is that? so we ended up hiring him. We ended up getting off you know away from the management we were with, hired him, but by that by the time that happened, it was a big financial mess within our camp that they had to kind of straighten out. They had to get us new financial representation. We got a new, you know, all new management and they had to kind of clean up the back mess before we could move forward. So the end of the touring cycle for perfect self was December of 2001. And we had already been on the road for a little over a year, maybe. And, uh, We were supposed to go to Europe or UK with Drowning Pool right before the holidays. We were supposed to go 10 days over there, do a few days press, a couple of shows with them, come home for the holidays, and then we were supposed to go back to the UK again. And our last show was at the Metro in Chicago. Awesome show. And I'm thinking, all right, we're in Chicago. Show is going to be packed. I wake up that morning of the show. I'm excited because technically the next day we were supposed to fly out and go to Europe. And I'm like, awesome. Finally, you know, I get to go to Europe by playing music. You know, I wake up early. I'm excited. I go to the front lounge of the bus. I look at my tour manager. I'm like, Europe tomorrow. I'm like, yes. He's like, no Europe tomorrow. I'm like, what? I'm like, shut up, dude. He, I was like, we leave tomorrow. He's like, it's not happening. I'm like, Okay, man. Whatever you say. Stop screwing with me. And I'm like, stop messing with my head, you know. And he's like, no, seriously, it's it's canceled. I was like, what's canceled? He's like, um, I screwed up, man. I'm like, excuse me? What do you mean you screwed up? I booked the wrong dates. So I was like, what? So what happened was, and it's not funny, but it's it's like, oh my god, uh, we, we bought all the flights. He confirmed them for the wrong week. So. It was like we could it it was a lot of money worth of flights from what I understand. And again, you might hear a different story talking to someone else in the camp. But this is the story I was told. He booked the flights, confirmed the flights, and they were for the week after. And to get in there were non-refundable. And they were thousands of dollars for the band and crew. And we just basically just through money you know we should have just stacked up a couple of grand on the floor and lit it on fire and we weren't getting the the label wasn't giving us money to go redo it you know it's like nope canceled you guys are going home and basically we played the show that night which was great management was based out of Chicago so they came down and ripped him a new asshole I mean we weren't even we were told to get off the bus so they could talk to him. So I'm standing in the street watching this guy, a grown man, sit down and have one of our managers literally inches away from this guy's face screaming at him to the point where it's like, wow, wow. He, I mean, they went nuts on him, fired him on the spot, basically. And he was a good dude. He really was. And it just he, he screwed up. And it was a massive screw up. So he packed his bags and they got him a cab to wherever the hotel and then so he left. And then we were told basically pack your bags, you're going home tomorrow. Time to write a new record. And we're like, what? Like we just we're just getting oh like you gotta so we got yanked off the road, you know, prematurely. We should have been out on the road for another probably at least another eight months to a year, I would think. and we cause we were trying to really just get everything just up and running again with new management and everything. So, and we were trying to get another single out because the stepping away single, which we didn't want, we wanted something heavier and we were kind of talked into putting that one out and it didn't do as well as pain did. And it was the wrong song to put out basically. So we got sent home. So me and Dan, you know, we, I think it was me and Dan might've been me and Joey. It was me and Joey rented a car and drove home to New York and we kind of recouped after the holidays, got back down to Atlanta and started trying to write the second record. And we were, and it was coming along really bad at first because we were still all in, in touring mode. You know, it's like, we were all still partying, we're all drinking, going out every night. me, Dan and Joey had a nice little apartment together down there. You know, it was just, we're trying to write a record, but we're still, in perfect self touring mode because there was no real decompression time from like, oh, that was an awesome tour. It was more like, you're not going to Europe. You're going home, write a record, you know, in the next couple of months. So when we got to Atlanta. We were still carrying on like children, you know, drinking and partying coming in hungover and trying to rehearse and write. So me and, uh, me and Corey stopped drinking. We, you know, we had a sit down, the whole band. Kind of just reassessed everything like, all right, let's look at the songs that we've written so far. And this is I, I remember I said this. I, I was like, look at these songs. We got five songs written and they're horrible. I was like, these are not this is not stereo. I was like, we're, we're writing music for the radio guy at the label. I was like, we're not writing for ourselves. I was like, the first record came out. We wrote those songs because that was what we were doing. I was like, now it seems like we're trying to write that quick hit radio thing. All these songs, I was like, they're terrible. I was like, and if anyone thinks that this is good and or better than the first record, I was like, you're crazy. I was like, you know, I am I looked at Corey. I was like, dude, me and you, we've been drinking, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you stop drinking, I stop drinking. And I was like, I'm done. I was like, I need to get you know, I need to lose a few pounds anyway. I was like, but I was like, uh, I'm done. I was like, I'm not drinking anymore. Nobody asked me for, you know, to do a shot or anything. I'm not, I'm done. I'm I'm going into boxer mode and I'm writing music for this record. I'm not coming and hanging out at the clubs and just, I'm, I'm going to be a homebody and rehearsal guy. So me and Corey quit drinking and we started ripping those songs apart and redoing them. And then we came up with the second patch of songs, which I, I love them. I don't like the way the record sounds, but I love the songs. Like there's not one song in that record that I would say, I hate it. I love every song on the record, but I don't like the way it got mixed. I hate them. I hate the mix. The guitars were so much heavier that we, me and Joey recorded and the way it got mixed, things got lost and it just didn't, didn't come out sonically the way i thought it was going to but um i do love the songs but the the breakup part came when um sony was pulling everyone's tour support and and it wasn't just the heavier bands it was everybody it was like you know we were on label with jessica simpson and destiny's child and all them no one they they fired 1500 people i think tommy mottola had left the label and Donnie einer had taken over a and all reps were getting fired. Everyone was just getting shit-canned over there. And surprisingly, they kept us on the roster. They didn't drop us. You know, bands were getting dropped. But what happened was we got an offer to go out with Stone Sour, I believe, and they wouldn't give us tour support for it. And so we ended up not doing that tour. We did a headlining run it did really poorly because the promoters didn't do what they were supposed to do and it just became real taxing on the band where it was like, do we get rid of the bus to save money and get two vans what do we do, you know, we started asking the uh, the road crew guys we're like, are like a in if we have to downscale to this and just to save some money to just we don't want to go home, you know, we want to tour tour behind this record and. They were all in, man. Everyone was like, dude, we love this band. You guys are amazing. You guys are, this is, you guys, what they call it, like a, you're, you're a bull in a cage, man. You just, we're sticking around. So our crew was awesome. But then um, we had gone home. I think we got the plug pulled and we, we were on this headlining run and we were in Laughlin, Nevada. And it was like, what the hell are we doing? I'm like, what are they booking for us? They're booking us at the Whiskey on a Monday night. After a killer weekend of bands and like it wasn't promoted in advance, nothing was getting advanced properly and it was just really, it was messy and we were getting burnt out. So we went home and the whole thing was we were going to go home and I was like, all right, but if we go home, I'm getting a part time job because I don't want to spend and live off the money that I made already. I'm saving that. That's for a house. You know, that's for my future. Uh, I was like, I'm not going to be one of these balloon heads that like, Oh, I made this money off of being in a band. I'm going to go buy a Ferrari and then I don't have any money anymore. You know, I was like, I'm saving that money for my future. So I was like, I'm going to go back to my old job and work part-time. I'll work from eight to 12 and then the rest of the day I'll rehearse and write music. And that became a little bit of an issue for one of the guys, I believe. And Then Joey got asked to do a uh, three-week Europe run with Life of Agony, And he called me and asked me, he's like, would you have a problem if I did this? I'm like, not at all. I'm like, you're not rejoining the band. You're doing a three-week reunion thing to make a couple of bucks. I was like, you know what? It would save me a lot of headache. I was like, how about I go with you? I'll tech for you. I'll get paid. We'll be in Europe. You and I can both do press over there for stereo mud, and we're both getting paid. And we can be, we'll be together so we can write music on the bus at night and whatever. And I remember saying that to him, and he wasn't opposed to it. And he's like, all right, well, you know, I talked to Corey and Eric and they were cool with me doing this. I'm like, listen, we're not gonna be doing anything as the band in those weeks anyway. So go do it. You gotta make a living, you know. And like I said, I'll go with you. And then when we come back, we regroup with the guys and we do what we got to do. So then the telephone game started. This was from, like I said, this is my story. As soon as I hung up the phone with Joey, I think I called Eric or I called Corey or they called me and they had a problem with it. I'm like, wait a minute. You guys, I just spoke to Joey and, you know, he said you didn't have a problem with it. Apparently there was a problem. But I think our manager, I think planted that seed. I'm, I'm not sure how it went down. All I know is the next thing I remember is I was on the telephone with my, uh, with our lawyer, and it was a conference call with Joey, and he basically told me, don't completely blame your record label for all of this stuff happening. He's like your managers have not been, you know, 100% cooperative. Blah blah blah. So I had enough. I was like, I'm, I'm done. I was like, I'm out of here. I was like, Joe, are you on the other end there? He's like, yeah. I was like, you heard what I just said, right? He's like, yep. I was like, I'm I'm leaving. I told my lawyer, I'm like, get me off the contract. I am out of the band. And he was like, you can't say anything. I was like, I'm not going to say a word. And I was like, I'm just letting you know now. I am no longer in stereo mud. I'm not going to deal with any of this childish crap anymore. I'm sick of it. I've had enough. I'm burnt out. I don't want to be in this band anymore. If it's This is the way things are going to be run. I was like, uh, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm out of the band. And my lawyer was like, all right, well, you can't talk to anybody because if it gets out that you left the band, Columbia still has you under contract, and if you do anything, they own it. I got to get you off. Blah blah blah. It was a whole big thing. So that was it. I left, and then uh, a few hours later, Joey left, and then the other guys were, uh, I guess they were going to try to replace both of us. Yeah, I think they lasted maybe two more weeks, and then they put it to bed, and then. They all went their separate ways and then that was it. And it was sad, man. You know, we all, you know, it's water under the bridge. And like I said, you probably hear four other stories of how things went down because I don't think anyone was ever really told the truth. It's like breaking up with a girlfriend and then you run into them and you're like, Why did we break up? And like, I don't know. Why did we break up? You know, <laughs> I think it was because of this. And no, I think it was because of this. It's like, no, it was your fault. No, it was your fault. You know. So but everyone's in touch everyone's alive healthy and well and everyone you know we just there was almost a quick reunion you know but it didn't happen we, we we had talked one time about maybe you know maybe doing a string of shows or maybe throwing out a couple of new songs possibly that was a couple of years back and it just didn't happen and then when i was getting married i got back in touch with everybody and me and corey had talked about hey why don't we do it again you know let's try it and we yeah. floated it out there just just timing, you know. Timing just never really permitted anyone to do it, because like I said, Joey's Joey's been busy. Corey obviously is in Cedar now. Dan has his bus slash limo business down in Florida, and Eric is in I think North Carolina now. He still plays. Everyone's still playing. I don't know if Dan plays, but uh, everyone's still in touch with everybody. There's no no bad blood. You know, it just I think sometimes I think we're all just kind of like man it was good while it lasted and we wish it would have lasted, you know, right. right. It just sucks. It it was one of those situations where it should have totally went a different direction, but it didn't. But at the time we all hated each other. and was like, well, that guy, you know, but uh, (laughs) after about six months, you know, me and Corey were on the phone and we had a long conversation and it was all good. You know, those guys are always, will always be family to me. And you know, we were young, we were stupid, and we got, uh, you know, we got put through the ringer, and and it it, it, it you know what? There's still sixty two thousand monthly listeners on Spotify, right, right, right. With, you
0: know. Now speaking of the Spotify a bit actually, because I was looking at that, one of the most popular songs, I think it's was number three the last time I looked, was the song that you guys had recorded for WWF that was released on their Forcible Entry album. Uh, which wasn't on either of the two uh, Stereo Mud records. Can nope. you tell me about how that came about working with the WWF?
1: Uh, that was weird. We were, uh, I think we were mid-tour on the first record, or maybe we were in the... I remember where we were. We were in Atlanta, and I remember the studio we were in. I don't know if we were gearing up to go... to. I don't know if we were writing for the second record, or if we were... No, we... What year did that come out? Do you remember? Was that 2001?
0: That was, so the, the record that that was on, WWF Forcible Entry, came out in 2002.
1: Okay, so I guess it was, it was two thousand and Wow. Well, I just remember getting, we got the offer for Raven, and the guy, I think his name's Jim Johnson, I think he was the musical director for the WWF. And yes, indeed. he sent us a CD of, Raven's song and somehow this is one of the cooler moments for me at least for being in that band was uh they sent it over and we listened to it and it was really bad it was really bad like this guy sent a demo over and I don't know if you've ever messed around with a drum machine where the beats are like if you don't Quantize your drum beats. They're not going to, and you hit the pads and it's off time. It was a mess. It was like the music, it just sounded like shit. It was a really bad demo, but it was just like, here's the song. It's for Raven. Learn it, record it, and that's that. And I'm listening to it. And I'm like, this is really bad. And I remember looking up at the guys. I was like, guys, this is terrible. I was like, the drums are, what are we supposed to do with this? And I was like, can we call, have management call this guy and just ask him? there were no lyrics and like, there's no words. We're like, we have, you know, an amazing singer, which he's supposed to just sit in the back corner and do nothing. I was like, we got an amazing singer. And Corey's like, you know, the, the melody guru, this guy comes up with vocal melodies over anything, you know? And as far as his harmony vocals, I'm like, dude, you know, so <laughs> they, they call up, Management, management gets in touch with whoever I guess, and we said, "Hey, we have to stereo mud eyes this a bit and make it sound remotely, somewhat like us." So I got tasked with uh, sitting in the corner with the headphones on, learning the main riff, and then saying, "Okay, this is how the you know." And then I had to kind of show the guys, "All right, this is the main riff." And then we kind of booked a studio down in Atlanta for. A day we went in for a day and we just kind of took his riff morphed it into something more stereo mud like and wrote a few more other parts that we that we wrote it was was like all right I wrote this part Corey wrote that part shall we wrote this part and in in the studio though it was kind of it was cool for me though because we had our uh, our sound guy engineering but they kind of let me run with it. I remember that because Corey loved doing production stuff. But for some reason, they they kind of just let me be that guy that day. I, I, just, I really just remember them just kind of leaning on me for that one. I don't know why, but it was just one of those odd moments where I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. I'm the new guy in the band, and they're kind of like letting me, like not run the show, but just kind of, Hey guys, this riff you do the you know, and then at the end of it all, it was cool, man. Corey wrote the lyrics because I was staying at his house at the time, and uh, he would run stuff past me. It, it, it was cool, man. That that was a, that was fun. It, it was fun. And then we met Raven at, at some strip club, and you know, yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> he didn't even know who we were, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like we, yo, dude, you walk out to our song, you know, our song, which is your theme song, and you don't even know who we are, do you? he's just like looking at us even uh, i won't say he was the friendliest guy on earth well, that's uh,
0: uh that's not uh that's not a secret
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know I, I just i i i didn't uh i i you know out of all the people i've met while being in that band or being in this industry he was uh he goes on the a list of people that if i ever met him again i wouldn't give him the time to take you know <laughs> he wasn't, wasn't wasn't very friendly he just kind of walked into this place like everyone should be bowing at his feet. And I was like, nah, that's not going to happen, buddy. (laughs) Right, right,
0: right. So uh, as I mentioned, you guys broke up in 2003. In 2009, Eric announced the band was coming back with a new lineup. About a month after that announcement, he changed the project's name to Dangerous New Machine and apologized publicly for offending fans or former members of the band. Can you tell me what, what happened with that situation?
1: Was it a month after or was it the next day?
0: Uh well I mean the I was when I was going through the blabbermouth articles, it looks like it was posted a month after the initial announcement.
1: What oh, the name of his new band, the Dangerous New Machine yeah. thing. Yeah. uh I for some reason I thought it happened like the next day that on Blabbermouth it was like it's not stereo mode, it's dangerous new machine. Maybe it was longer, I don't know, but it felt like a day to me. Two thousand nine. Yeah, I remember uh, you know, I'm one of those wake up and you know log on to blabbermouth just because i want to read the news and whatever and i always did so every day i just i log on the blabbermouth and see what's going on so i remember that that uh jumping out of it i was like wait stereo mode reunites or something like that i'm like huh i'm like hold on a minute what and i remember just being like you gotta be Are you kidding me? I was like, wait a minute. The band does. We dissolved the business together. You know, we all had to sign off that this is no longer. You know, five guys had to sign off and put it to bed. And I was like, wait a minute. I have the contracts that we all signed. They can't just start the new band up with new members and not tell anyone. And they can't. You know, I'm like mad as hell. I think I called. dan or texted dan he and corey were playing together at the time in, in a different project briefly but i remember reading it and being like yo what the hell is this and they're like eric they were like oh because i don't think anyone had been in contact with eric at the time and uh yeah so we were like you know i i i think i remember uh i remember i think i said something to joey about it i remember joey was like good for him i hope he goes out and play. I hope he goes out and plays shows and makes a lot of money and we get paid anyway, because we own those songs. I was like, yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) But I, we were all like, dude, you know, that band was five guys, you know, it, 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 there were times, and I, I, you know, there were times in that band where every member of that band was questioned of, Should they still be here? Should we replace this guy? And then it always was like, this band does not work without the five of us. You know, it was just one of those things. It's if Joey had quit and gone back to life of agony and we got a new guitar player, it wouldn't be stereo mud. It just wouldn't, you know, it just, that band just worked with those five guys. So I remember I wrote Eric a message. And again, I don't remember 2009, I guess. Yeah. Facebook. I messaged him and I was friendly, you know, I wasn't like, I just was like, Hey man, what are you doing? You know, something to that effect. I was like, what are you doing, man? You technically, you can't do this. You know, I was like, we all had to start from scratch again. After the band broke up, everyone's gone through their struggles, I guess, of being here and then being without any, you know, no label or nothing. I was like, we all had to start again from the bottom up. Don't do this, man. I'm like, and technically you can't. know i was like don't just don't do this you know it was a special time for all of us and i didn't go off and tell them threaten them or anything like that but um i think Corey and dan did i think they texted them or called them from where they were jamming in atlanta and told them hey if you don't take this down or stop what you're doing we're gonna come over there and blah 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 i don't remember but i remember they 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 were pissed and uh yeah we were all upset but they they went a different route. I think Dan sent them something threatening. I don't remember. But, uh, yeah, he, I, me personally, I think he just did that to uh, – I don't think he was going out as Stereo Mud. I think it was just more to grab some hype for his new band, and he was going to change the name anyway. You know, I think it was more just to get the Stereo Mud fans excited, like, hey, Stereo Mud's back. But, no, it's really this band and whatever. But that's what I think happen i we never discussed it or anything like that but that that's just my opinion that he just kind of was like he was in a popular band and all right well, i'm gonna start a new band but who the hell's gonna know it maybe i just say it's this and then change it i mean that's what made sense to me but it, it just it was weird but that's what happened with that but yeah that was short-lived yeah, I know that. It the, wasn't that, anybody. It was just him. It was right. Nobody. It was just him and a whole new yeah,
0: yeah. lineup. and then that yep. did that band actually didn't not that you were you were like there or part of it, but that band didn't seem to do a whole lot either. I think they only released like an album and a cover song before calling it quits.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know whatever happened with that band. I, it wasn't my style, you know. It was yeah. Everyone in in Stereo Mud we, were, we all had different musical tastes, and that's what kind of made it what it was. Uh, i was like i me and joey are the heavy dudes we like the heavy stuff and dan too you know but he was looking to branch out and go more you know bigger sounding i guess you know more sound gardening stuff like that you know we wanted to keep the heaviness in but it's a lot man when you have label people and everybody pulling people to the side and that happened too, where you know i remember people pulling Eric to the side, telling him you're there, you know, blowing up his ego and stuff like that. But no one was quitting that band to go solo project. You know what I mean? But it, it was you had those snakes in the business that were trying to do stuff like that, telling Eric like you're gonna be the next oh, this I remember you're gonna be the next Aaron from Stain. And it's like what? Like what are you <laughs> telling us dudes? It's like why don't you just let us do what we do because you know no offense to any other bands, but when we were on bigger tours And we were lower on the bill, maybe second or third on the bill of, you know, five, six bands or whatever. You know what? We were smoking everyone every night. I can tell you we had one bad show in the time I was in that band. Like one bad show. Other than that, I remember being told by a friend of mine that toured with us from another band. He was like, you know what's sick about you guys? I was like, what? He goes, you five guys will come from five different directions, not even speak to each other during the day. Not because we were mad at each other, just because we had five different things to do. You know, Eric was hanging out with his friends in this city. Corey was sleeping. Dan was doing something else, you know, that day. And maybe Joey went to the movies and I was at the mall or whatever. And he was like, you guys will go the whole day, maybe not even see each other and right before you guys walk up the ramp to the stage he was like i remember this specifically he was like every night every band on this bill would wait till you guys got up the ramp and all of a sudden every band on the tour including the headlines were all standing side stage watching you guys and you guys would just after a day not even seeing each other walk up the ramp fist bump each other, go on stage and just destroy. I was like, well, we're on a mission, <laughs> you know? Like, that's what we do. I was like, we're not here to say, oh, we're going to blow these guys away tonight. But I think in our heads, you know, individually, it's like, well, I'm going out on stage because I want everyone's fans to like my band, buy our record. You bought their record and we're going to show everyone on this bill where the band to be. You know, that was in my head every night. I was just there to to kill. You know, <laughs> all I had in my brain was 1986 Metallica opening up for Ozzy Osbourne on Cliff Mall. You know, and that's what I was going to do every night. And I know, I know for a fact Joey was, and I know everybody else was. We weren't there to we're like, all right, we'll play, but we're not going to play as hard as we should because we don't want the headlining band to uh, get mad at us. And it's like, nah, man. we're like these kids paid money. Where you're going to get five guys and we're going to go bonkers and we're going to give you freaking rock metal show and we're gonna leave and then we're gonna go and hang out with you all you know but we uh we were a band to be reckoned with live i mean several times on several different tours we'd get off stage and the headliners would be like you kidding me well like what? like (laughs) how are we supposed to go on out there that the crowd's going went ballistic well like all right so they're all primed up for you you're the headliner like go and have fun it's your crowd I'm like, dude, I'm like, come on, man, biggest compliment you could get. you know It's like we want to be where you are, you know that's why we' go out there and do that and right it, it's awesome yeah that was, it was that was a good band, man. That was a really good band.
0: I really enjoyed it, but uh it had its time, and now uh, you know you you already mentioned how you came to join uh, Blackwater oh. Rising, yeah, which uh, that band formed initially in two thousand seven. now after the uh, at some point after the release of the first Blackwater Rising album you left the band can you tell me why you decided to do that
1: i my head i was in a different headspace i guess at the time it was it was going well you know we were do it yourself band we didn't have labels or anything but somehow we, the brother go on single did really well and i just think that it was the way we were doing things at the time i kind of was i remember saying why don't we just You know, instead of worrying about a record label, let's I just remember I had a a, a thing I wanted to try to do what everyone's doing now, which now I'm kind of like, great. Now everyone's doing it. I remember bringing up at the time, why don't we write take three or four songs and release them now with a merch design and then in three months release four more songs with a new merch design. And then because everything was starting to go so fast with the internet, it was like the attention span is not even close to I mean, it was starting with that attention span of a gnat back then. And I'm like, people know who we are, why don't we just hit them with four, you know, we'll just put out EPs every, every, you know, quarter of the year, you know, summer, spring, winter, fall, let's give them four songs with a t shirt, four songs in a new design, and we'll play all the songs live because they were already all written. And, you know, no, they weren't really into it. They were kind of wanted to do the full album thing, which was understandable. We had a full album. And just in my head, I, I was like, all right, they don't want to do it that way, which was cool. Again, I have no problem putting the record out. Then uh, what happened? I get, I was feeling like my ideas weren't welcome, I guess, at the time. I, I was, you know, just riff writing and stuff. I, you know, Rob is an amazing songwriter, actually to the point where it pisses you off because he'll come in with a song and you're like, come on, dude. I, I had a song I was gonna present to everybody and you wrote that and I'm like, damn it, you know. <laughs> well, he started the band, you know, it was his vision right, right. and he had a, a clear vision of how it should be and which was great because it, it pulled my ass in there because that as soon as I heard it, I was like, I want to be in this band and when you try you know i come from a different way of writing so it was like all right i have to try to get the feel down of the songs that are written already and then try to start writing riffs for this band and handing them in and every time i would think i had something cool he'd come in with something i'm like man i guess he's the you know he writes the lyrics and the melodies so it's like he's the the main songwriter it's insane how this guy churns out songs like like it's nothing you know and uh so i started getting i guess a little frustrated with like my spot in the band i guess you know and uh, i mean if you call it a bruised ego or whatever it's like i was there i would write my leads record them and then it was like you know it just it felt stifling so i I started jamming with uh, joey again on the side and we had a heavy thing going on it was me joey uh, Odie was playing bass we had chris hamilton you know chris hamilton
0: Yes, I've been trying to. I've been I've been friends with Chris ever since he was in the band Saint Cain, and I have been trying to get him on this show since I started it. I love Chris.
1: All right, well, Chris was playing drums, and I think he was the one that actually got us all together because. He was always like, oh, I want to do a project with UNZ. I want to do a project with UNZ. And then it just happened. You know, we grabbed Odie, like, come on, let's jam with Hamilton and, and Joey. And it was four of us. And we were, dude, no one's heard the stuff unless we played it for them. We, you know, we, we were starting to come together with, it was good stuff, man. It was heavy. And we ended up getting Tim Williams on vocals. And I was psyched because Chris had brought up, Yo, what if we got Tim to sing? And I was like, are you cool with Tim? Because, you know, you the guys were blood, blood simple together. Yeah. And he's like, nah, we we talked and, you know, everything's cool. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, listen, I'll tell you right now, Tim is in my top five, maybe top three favorite metal vocalists of all time. And I've called him, he's the Jim Morrison of metal, man. Just his vibe. He goes on stage and he's like another creature than what you're sitting in a room with having a cup of coffee with, you know. It's like he's friendly, he's laid back, he's mellow, and he he gets on a microphone and it's like, holy shit, what the hell just happened? Who is, you know, it's like, who is this guy? Just his lyrics are really obscure, you know, they're pretty obscure. You got to kind of find your own meaning to them. That's how I always got it and just, I just always thought he was awesome. I just love his voice. And when Chris brought his name up, I'm like, yes. I was like, I'm I'm in. I'm down. I'm totally down with Tim coming in here. And uh we got him down there one day and we had, I think, three songs written, maybe four. He comes in the room and he hadn't heard anything yet. We were just playing live in the room in Joey's studio, and he's just kind of standing there and you couldn't figure out if he was into it or not. I'm like, is he into this stuff? And he's just standing there, standing there, standing there. And we played in a circle facing Chris. He grabs the microphone, turns his back to everybody, Jim Morrison style. And uh, (laughs) he's got his back to everyone, and out of nowhere, he just starts belting out something. I looked over. I couldn't believe it. I had to like duck my head down because I was giggling like a little kid. I was so happy that that's what came out of his mouth and his phrasing. Whatever he came up with on the spot, he was just making up words and scatting over the music. It blew my mind. And I was like, that's it, man. I was like, I'm this is, you know, I can get my musical ideas out in this band. I'm a main writer with everybody. Everyone respects everybody. And OK, Blackwater, It'll. I'll just go. do what i do over there you know and i'll do this and it just got to a point where i just I, i got frustrated i was more into doing the heavier thing i guess and it just it just wasn't doing what i i wanted it at the time i was kind of i'm like you know we're not doing as many shows as we used to and it just seems like it was losing steam at the time and few things behind the scenes that had happened where it just didn't sit right with me and i was like you know i'd rather leave the band and still remain friends with the guys and instead of stay force myself to do and end up resenting them you know what i mean i was like i i I don't i don't want to be enemies with anybody these guys are a great band i loved it but at that specific time period i was like i i got to do something else, and you know, because I don't want to end up a big blow up and I hate you and F you, and then if you talk to someone, you end up saying the wrong things behind people's backs, and that. I, I, I don't want to do that crap. So I sent an email saying, hey guys, you know, I'm I'm stepping out. It's nothing personal. It's just I I'm, I want to do something else and blah blah blah. So they got Dennis in the band, who I I knew I knew that's who was going to replace me. We always did shows with his bands, and and he just seemed to be the guy that fit. The best, and then uh about a, I don't know, a year later, I went and saw them live. I hadn't seen the guys in a while. Odie I had seen because I've known Odie since I'm a kid. But I went down to one of their shows, and I don't remember if I got up and did a song with them that night. I don't think I did, but it was nice just to catch up with them and whatever. And then the next time they played, I think I had gone up and done Brother Go On with them, and I was like, oh, I miss playing this, you know. But what started the me getting back in the band was my wife was doing. Uh, you know, she was doing a podcast and, uh, you know, interviewing bands and whatever. They were playing at the Ride for Dime at the Starland Ballroom. And she was interviewing, you know, Jason Leckberg?
0: Not familiar with that name,
1: though. No. All right. So his band was playing that band, I Kill You. Oh, I, I know the band name. Yeah. Okay. So he was the front man for that band. She was going to interview him at Starland. So she did. And I had I met her later on that day. I drove down there. and I introduced her to the drummer, Mike's wife. And I knew they were going to hit it off. So they hit it off. And, you know, we would hang out with them all the time. You know, we would go to dinner with them and stuff like that. Because like I said, we were all still friends. But through the wives hanging out. They would hang out on their own. And then every now and again, I'd go and we'd get dinner together. And my wife was like, man, I love that band. I wish my husband, would. I wish they would, I wish he'd rejoin the band. And, she, and you know, Mike's wife would be like, yeah, it's not the same without him. We love Dennis, but it's the original with John and blah, blah, blah. And I think the wives kind of just started pushing that envelope of, Hey, how about, you know, get him there, you know, and then Odie's wife was, you know, they're all like a little knitting crew, you know, the wives, they all get along, which is odd. You know, you don't really see that a lot with bands with the, all the females getting along. You know, usually it's always like some sort of drama, none whatsoever, you know, and Rob's wife, her and my wife hit it all. and just, all the wives get along. They all hang and do their girls nights and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I think they did a show on Long Island here and they called me up on stage to do one song. And after I played it, Rob was like, no, 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 just stay up. Do another one. Do another one. I was like, well, I think, he was like, yeah, we're going to close with Brother Go so On. just play that too. Just stay up on stage. I was like, cool. The crowd was a nice crowd and all the wives were there. And, and that that was kind of the night where I was like, you know, I, I think I might want to rejoin this band. You know, I was like, but it's not my call. And I just I'm, I missed. Playing these songs, I miss being around these guys like I used to be. I used to be around these guys five days a week. And then it went to, like, seeing them once a year maybe. But then uh, I got off stage. I'm like, that was awesome, you know. And then I guess Odie might have said something. Like, yo, let's just get him back in the band, you know. And let's, you know, And it took a little bit. And then I think it, I, maybe a year, if that, I get a call. Like, would you be interested in coming back? I'm like, yeah, man. Let's, you know, just, just sit down and talk. We sat down, we met up in the city for a beer and, and just, you know, sat there for an hour or two, just catching up. And I was like, listen, man, I was like, I'm in, I'm, I'll learn whatever we got to learn. And, and I was like, my only thing that I, I really just, I need it because it just, it's just the way I am. I was like, whether it gets used or it doesn't get used, I just need to contribute riffs. You know, I was like, if I have something written, I need to be able to submit it in and just here, here's, It's out of my brain. It's not going to mess with me. If It's like, no, you can't hand in a song. And it wasn't like that back in the day. It was just Rob wrote better stuff. And it was always trying to like play catch up, you know. And it's like, damn, you wrote another good one. Damn it, I got to throw mine away and try to write, you know. And by the time you got your idea down, you already had a second album written, you know. And it was like, damn it. But again, I was in a different place with just, other things, but yeah. So we sat down for a beer, and again, it was never any hard feelings, and it was always friends. And I guess they were feeling at the time that they missed having me in the band, and I missed being in the band. And we had a beer. I said, like, "Go, oh, I just want to be able to write some riffs and hand in music, whether it gets used or it doesn't. You guys can throw it in the garbage. I don't care. I just want that opportunity." And they're like, "Yeah, dude, that's it. <laughs> and that was it, man. It really, it was just a." A beer and a conversation, and, and, and they were like, come on back, and they told Dennis, and Dennis wasn't, uh, no hard feelings. Dennis had, uh, I guess, a billion other things going on guitar-wise and work-wise and everything, too, so he was good with it, you know?
0: All right. Yeah. And so that was last year that you, you rejoined uh, the band. Now in between. Leaving... No, technically
1: I've been in the band now for three years almost, but. Oh, has lockdown... it really?
0: Cause I guess it wasn't announced till last year.
1: I didn't yeah. Uh, Facebook
0: I... about it until 2021. So, all right. For...
1: No, that might've been a repost.
0: Oh, okay. Well.
1: I rejoined the band. We did a, uh, what was it? Uh, let's see. We went to Vegas for our first show back. So I guess it was November of 2019. I oh, remember Shit, the really? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was. It was the, way I was I thought it was way more recent. <laughs> yeah, no, because we were laughing about it. We just did a video shoot about three weeks ago in Brooklyn, and me and Rob were bringing all our gear back to the elevator to go home. And uh, he looks at me, he starts laughing, and he's like, "You know what's funny? This October, you've been back in the band for three years already, and we've only done two shows." <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess
0: that, I guess that, that, COVID also kind of fucks with your concept of time when not much happens for two years. Yeah.
1: uh, It it flew by. It was, it was, uh, let's see, played Vegas. I think, I think it was November, 2019 played Vegas, came home holidays. I think we were literally, I've rehearsed with the band six times in the last three years. It It was five rehearsals, three rehearsals. We did Vegas Came home, did two rehearsals, played South Jersey at – what was that place just closed down? Oh, the, the, the stage is kind of catty-cornered in the back. I always forget the name of the place.
0: Oh, uh, 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 the place in Long Branch? Yes. Oh, what the fuck was the name of that place? I've been there before, and I can't think of the name of it. Hold on. I can probably look it up.
1: Total Beach Town, but the, the stage was kind of in the back corner. It was a cool set. Oh, Bright, Brighton Bar. Brighton Bar. Brighton Bar. So we played that in March – I think it was March 15th of 2020 and then march 20th is when lockdown happened and that was it it was like boom no one's doing anything so for the next two years it was just phone conversations and you know when restrictions let up we'd get together not the band just you know wives yeah, and husbands we'd hang yeah. in and uh finally demos started coming over I didn't take advantage of lockdown in writing. I didn't get any inspiration from it. Some people did, I didn't. I would pick my guitar up and be like, why? What's for what? <laughs> we get, like, I'm so uninspired. I was, I barely played, I would play here and there. And I was like, this is terrible. I was like, what are we, what are we doing this for? I was like, I, I don't want to put her, you know, me, I was like, I don't want to waste my time writing music that's going to go absolutely nowhere because no one could do anything. And I was so uninspired. And then Rob, that guy, you know, again, he just, boom, I got a song. And it wasn't a song. It was like a whole record, you know. So he sends a couple songs. I'm like, nice, new stuff. So I started learning that. And then we finally got to go down to his house and record guitars. Drums were done. Odie went, did his bass. And then I went back, did some leads. So now we have, I'm not exactly sure how many songs right now more more than a half of a record recorded but we're doing it now you know we threw a couple of songs out there online we did video for jokes on you and there's gonna be a video coming out in the next i would say couple of weeks maybe month or so for the song hail mary yeah it's good it's good record man it's different we kind of it sounds like Blackwater rising but it's it's got different vibes on it you know it's cool it's fun to play i
0: can't wait to to get to see you guys again like i've seen the band uh few times at, at uh, I think the I think the only place I've ever seen uh, that band play is at, at Dingbats in Clifton but I love I love going there I love uh, seeing the band so I'll definitely
1: love definitely be there to,
0: to check you guys out again now I just I feel like if I don't ask I'm going to regret it later you had mentioned before about that band that you were doing with Chris Hamilton and Tim and, and nobody's ever it's never seen the light of day what happened with that
1: The usual but uh, you know somehow I ended up being the bad guy I don't know how but <laughs> a couple of guys weren't jiving I guess I don't want to name names, but no, you don't have to. One guy wasn't jiving with another guy, and it kind of got thrown our way. Like, you know, if this guy doesn't go, I'm going. And then I was sitting there, like, thinking, oh, man, this is again, you know? And then in my head, I'm not speaking for Joey, Odie, Tim, or Chris. In my head, it was more like, all right, I weighed out in my head, okay, who's liability here, you know? Who's the safer bet to keep the guy who's got the problem with or the guy who's got the problem. And I'm like, why do you have a problem? And then he'd state his case. And then I'm sitting there thinking, weighing out all the possibilities. Uh, if we let the guy with the problem go, who presented us with this, I'm like, all right, that might be weird. And we're going to probably, and I was like, but the guy, I was like, man, I understand where he's coming from. So I just said, "Eh, all right, my vote is for we keep this guy and maybe we get rid of this guy because he's got a lot going on as it is and maybe be more beneficial if we kept this guy. And the other members kind of agreed and we made the decision. And when we told, you know, one of the dudes what was happening, it became a thing. But somehow I got the blame for it all. I don't know how. And it's. You know, it's been weird with me and that dude ever since, and I, I hate it because I guess one of the guys had run into that dude somewhere along the way, and when they tried to get into conversation, they kind of caught him off guard and he just said, "Oh, talk to John." And it somehow became I was the bad guy in the situation, and I wasn't. I just was thinking about the whole band as a whole. and we all and like I said, everyone one in the band. It was unanimous that this guy was probably the guy that we should probably part ways with in order to keep this moving forward in a a positive way. But somehow it just, oh, you know what happened? Hurricane whoever completely wiped out Joey's studio in Brooklyn and we lost all our gear. And that was pretty much the end of it right there. So it didn't matter anyway, you know. Right right, and, right, right, right. You yeah, know, it just when we lost everything. I mean, he lost his livelihood and then had to re, you know, move it all back to Long Island to his house and make that work. So that kind of put everything on the back burner. That and trying to find a new member yeah. to replace the guy we lost, and then him having to rebuild his whole livelihood again. And it was just kind of everyone just kind of just just fizzed, you know. And then. Yeah. Uh, yeah but that that would have been an interesting band to put on a stage i think that would have i think that would have gone over pretty well with a lot of people because yeah. you know i was at, i think shit this was 2008 i guess yeah i was at the it was the mayhem festival in jersey i think machine head were just finishing up doing the locust record and headlining the second stage on that one and i remember. uh I said, I've been friends with those guys for many, many years. So I'm there. I'm up on the bus talking. And I think, uh, I think it was Phil. Phil asked me, he's like, so what are you, who are you jam with now? I told him. And then when I said, uh, Tim's name on vocals, I remember Adam just turned around and going, yes. I was like, yep. I thought you'd like that. Or oh, he was like, dude, that guy, they, they were huge VOD fans. And, uh, just Tim's just, he's just a killer fun man. But, uh yeah it would have been that would have been nice it, it, the music it, oh my god the music was great and then we were just really just starting out you know we were just kind of it was just nothing was pre-written it was just we went in a room and just someone belted out a riff and then we just started building on it there were no preconceived you know there were no pre-written riffs or anything and then uh got a little weird with losing a member and then it got weirder after we lost all of our gear in the in the flood. Right, right. So that, I think it was the flood that was the cherry on top. It was, you know, because we were trying out other members, you know, for the position uh, that was needed to be filled and just couldn't get the right guy. It was just the right guy wasn't coming in. And we were like, all right, let's we'll figure this out. But it was getting frustrating. You know, I think everyone was getting a little frustrated. And then the storm just kind of washed it all away. <laughs> right, right. No pun intended.
0: And so then also in between leaving and coming back to Blackwater Rising... You were in the band The Pain Method, which consisted of current and former members of Generation Kill and Thanatonic Desire. Uh, I know when the band was first announced, you weren't in the lineup, but you joined shortly after the music video for Gone for Good was filmed. Uh, Can you tell me how you came to join the band?
1: I've known Rob Machete for a long time, 90s, mid-90s when he was in Propane, because he and the other guitar player, Nick at the time, lived together in uh, Long Beach, and I lived Ten minutes from Long Beach, so I would go over their house all the time. And then we would just hang out, drink beers, listen to music, go out drinking, and just hang out all the time. And my first band, Altered Vision, would we used to do shows with Propane all the time. So Rob's known me since back then. And uh, so out of nowhere, I got a phone call from him or email or whatever for on on Facebook saying, "Hey man, no, no, he called me and left a message, call him back." And it was funny because when he was posting little small snippets on uh, on Facebook love them in the studio writing and stuff i always thought rob had a cool sounding voice like i was like wow he always had a cool tone to his voice and he had posted a video one day when they were recording the pain method record of a chorus that i was like wow that's a freaking great course and i was like jokingly i should text him and say hey man do you need a guitar player to bring in crunch because he always used to just compliment me on my tone i remember one time he asked me, you still got that sound i'm like what sounds like, you know that crunch that you have you still have it i'm like I'm always gonna have that I'm like that's my tone man that's what I do yeah you know? he's like so I was gonna joke with him way after hearing in that chorus like you know what man that's maybe yeah let's see and I never sent the message but literally three days later he calls me and I was like oh my god I was gonna message you joking around saying hey do you need a guitar a uh, guitar guy you know he's like yeah man do you want to come down i was like yeah, so went down, showed me the songs, and obviously it was a three guitar band, which was I've never done before, which was interesting, and it was fun because you could do three harmonies, one guy could ring a chord. It was, it was, it was cool. And uh, Will, I don't know if Will was full fledged member yet. I think they were still deciding on whether he was gonna be the guy or not because he still had, I think he still had the other band going.
0: They're still, yeah, they're still together. They were they were together the whole, the whole time, I believe.
1: Were they together? They were, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I think Rob was kind of like, I don't know if he's going to be able to do both or whatever, but it turned out he was, Will's the man. Will, Will is, uh, call him Sweet Dick when you see him next time. Sweet <laughs> Dick. Yeah, just one day, I was like, I just called him Sweet Dick Willie, and it just stuck because, I, you know, from that movie, uh, Do the Right Thing. Okay. spike lee movie <laughs> just it was a guy named sweet dick Willie, and i was like i saw him and i was like this kid is awesome i i love that kid and he is just i don't know he's you can't have a bad i've never seen him in a bad mood you know and you just you can't have a bad time around around that kid he's just he's just awesome and he's just a great bass player and he just gets it you know and he was a little younger but he still knew all the goods he was into all the good music you know and yeah, man. It just—I went up. I learned the songs, and then it turned out like I ended up being, you know, doing most of the vocals on stage. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, I'm singing in every song here. I was like, I got thrown into this quick because I had to do all the harmonies. And, and uh, I was like, all right, this is cool. I was like, I need to find my windows when I can thrash out on stage a little bit, but I'm, i seem to be up at the microphone most of the time. Yeah, it was cool, man. I enjoyed playing those songs. And then, you know, it, it, it was never a such thing as drama. It, it would have been great. But it, it just a couple of the guys in the band had a little drama together, but it was uncalled for. And it was all over just non band stuff. I'll put it that way. It was it was outside of the band creating problems and there was no one once once uh, once it came out there was no going back and it, it was like how are we gonna do shows when two guys in the band are at odds with one another but neither one of them are gonna quit <laughs> you know <laughs> and it was like it was bad. It, 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 we did our last show out here on Long Island I remember we played the show. it wasn't particularly a good one. there was barely anyone there after the show I was just like I, I was like I'm done. I was like, this band's over. Everyone starts giggling. I'm like, nah, I think this band's done. I was like, I, I can't. How are we going to go on like this? Just, we can't go on stage like this, you know? And yeah, I think that was like a Friday or Saturday. And then that Monday I, I put my resignation in and so did Will and everybody else. And uh, yeah, that was it. It was, it was Rob. Uh, I haven't spoken to Rob since that text. And I don't know what he's doing. Uh, I hope he's doing well. You know, I hope he's happy. Yeah. But he actually
0: rejoined MOD.
1: That I saw. But then lockdown happened, so I know they they're supposed to be doing some sort of stuff when they're allowed. I don't know if they're they if it's going to happen or if it's not going to happen. Right. I, don't, I, I know like that, that at one point,
0: don't... like like before COVID and lockdown and all that, they were supposed to play with Overkill at the Wellmont, and then that show got yep. postponed like two years and then when they rescheduled yep. it mod wasn't on the lineup anymore i don't know what happened there but the lineup of that show yeah. wound up being overkill demolition hammer and
1: demolition badass i love that band <laughs> yeah i don't know what happened i i mean i've I known billy milano a long time i know he's was down in texas i think he's still down there but um, yeah, I don't know what happened. I, 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 me and Rob aren't friends on on social media anymore. I, I just kind of after what went down with the the band, I just, I, I just separated myself from.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't say I wasn't in the situation. All I can say is, from an outsider perspective, and I don't, I'm not trying to stir any anything, but I know that after he rejoined MOD, he had made like a Facebook post about how it was great to be in a band with professional musicians again.
1: Yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah, I did. He had, he had a beef with 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 one of the guys. It was literally it was between him and one guy in the band, and it was so dumb and so I mean high school. And I was like, I'm not, I'm I'm nope, not doing this. It was it was all just dumb, and it wasn't like I said, it wasn't even music. It wasn't music related. It was personal behind the scenes crap. And right. it bled into the band, and then it was just sour grapes from there on out. Yeah. And it was it was tough to be in a room, but one guy was going with it. Yeah, way, I'll tell you, you, know. you don't
0: have to get too into it. Like I kind of yeah, got a similar, I, I, a similar I, I, it, impression it. when I had when I had Rob Ewells on the show earlier this year. He was he was equally vague about about what happened, but but you know I I you know kind of kind of said the same thing. So. I get it. And it's OK. Like I said, we don't have to we don't have to dive deep or name names or yeah, anything it like was, that. It, it, it was just stupid the
1: end of the story is,
0: is that, that, you know, you guys you guys split up and and it seems yeah. like everybody went back to a band they were in before, because except for Machete, all yeah. the guys that had been in Generation Kill back in Generation Kill. Yeah. They're back in Blackwater Rising, will still do in Thanatonic Desire. And yeah. Machete went back to MOD. So everybody went back to something else they'd already been doing.
1: Like I said, I don't know what Rob's up to now. I don't know anything. Yules I talk to still. I talk to all the guys still, except for uh, Machete. I guess he doesn't want to speak to any of us, and, then, and then that's cool. I got no hard feelings against him at all. I've known him for many, many years, and I resigned, and I just went back to I – went, I went back home pretty much, you know. And right. it's awesome to be back In Blackwater Rising, just because, you know, it's you get a little older in life and you got to figure out, you know, your old friends aren't really your friends. And you're you're, good. basically we go in a room and there's no ego. There's no you're with your friends. You're hanging out with your buddies and then you could literally leave rehearsal knowing that your wives are a couple of blocks away hanging out at some place together and go meet up with them and get a get a meal together and spend holidays together and, and birthdays and stuff it's, it's just awesome it, it's it's re- it really is man it, it the main goal man we would love to get over to europe somehow and why that's never happened in all those years i don't know i i don't know what we have to do to get our asses over there but that would be just you know let's just go play europe let's just do a couple shows jump on something somehow we just don't know how and the lockdown didn't help much either. But um, it's pretty much, I guess, it's open now. You know, right. it's COVID's just uh, another thing that happened in the in the world, and it's going to be around. And if you get it, you get it. You know, right? But um, that that's that's the goal, man. We we would love to just go over there and play, just do some shows over in Europe because we still have a fan base worldwide. We just don't know where. You know, it's hard to gauge where you're going to do well by looking on. A computer all the time you know You just gotta right. get out there and do it we're just trying to figure out who's gonna get us over there and how we can get over there But are
0: you guys on a label right now are you guys independent still or?
1: where uh i think pavement is uh distributed we're not on a label it's it's we're all independent but uh pavement does pavement the yeah. uh, distribution, distribution i believe okay everything else is in house, man. There's no. We use this one publicist, but we don't. We there's no managers and agents and stuff like that. We.
0: I think I know the publicist. I think I know the publicist that represents the band. <laughs> Who John? I know him too. I thought I was thinking of. There's there's one particular publicist that emails me all the time. That seems to handle most of the uh, most of the pavement stuff.
1: Uh oh, it might be. I, I'm not sure. You know, I don't even know right now. It's been like I said, five rehearsals and two shows. I'm still not fully caught up. The which guy? what's going on But uh I mean, we've always been a uh, do it yourself man because no one else is going to do it for you and if they are doing it for you they want your money right and right not like we're making you know gobs of money but it's like why pay someone to do something you can do yourself until you get to that level of okay we need to bring someone on to, to uh take on the burden because we need to concentrate on the music and the playing But still, I mean,
0: I'm sensing a a theme you you mentioned earlier in the in the interview about Blabbermouth and uh, the last episode of the podcast that I did uh, with Ryan Shuck was 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 all over (laughs) Blabbermouth, actually. But, uh, you know, he had said a similar thing in that episode was, you know, like. You know, what What do you really need? You know, there, there's only really certain things that, that labels are, are, are helpful for at this point, which kind of ties us into sort of the signature question of the show, which is, you know, how do you feel about the current state of the music industry where you've got on one hand from sort of the fan side of things, people are doing Spotify and streaming instead of album sales. They believe that they don't have to worry about purchasing music because bands make all their money at the shows. And then sort of from the label side of things, you have labels that are doing more of those, you know, like three Deals where they're they're taking big yeah. chunks of everything instead of that, just your record sales.
1: That's the 360 deal is the biggest bunch of bullshit I've ever heard in my life. Where it's like, wait a minute, why are you taking my merch and touring money? You're not out here with us. This this is how we make a living, and you're gonna start dipping into that too. You know, it's like, okay, record sales are down because okay. The way I saw it was when the internet was starting to become the thing and the way to get music, you know, the record industry, and I'm sure you've heard this from many other people, the industry was more, no, we're the record industry. We're huge. No one's going to do this to us. It dismantled it. When's the last time you've been in a tower records? You know what I mean? And I guess the music industry, you know, whatever, I don't know, the gods that run the music industry, I think they thought they were going to beat it and they didn't, you know? It's like, nah, man, you either jump on board when you see something happening that's taking away from your, you know, people are getting music faster, easier, whatever, may not sound as great or whatever. I love Spotify. Do you get paid a hell of a lot from it? No, but I think it's a genius idea. You can get anything, you know? But it's like, I think back in, what was it? 2000-ish with the Napster crap, Lars was right. I don't care anyone, whether you're in a band or just a fan buying music. It wasn't about money. It was about someone's controlling your stuff without your permission. It's like, okay, what do you do about that? You, you got to stop it before they take over everything, you know? It's, how does a Metallica demo that's not even done yet end up on the internet for people to download, you know? I remember Deftone's White Pony record some kid at a radio station in LA comes up to me and he's he like oh John I knew I knew you loved the Deftones here you go I'm like what's this I burnt your copy of the new record I'm like how'd you get this because the labels would send advanced copies to the radio stations and the interns would snake them and then burn them for their friends and do whatever and there's record sales lost right there on a you know it's like Deftones weren't humongous at the time they were still putting they were putting out their master of puppets their third record that make or break them you know and dudes are handing it out burnt copies of the album and it's like wow and i remember seeing stereo mud's first album all over the internet before it was released and i was like what the hell man i was like it's the whole album the interludes and everything i was like what the how does this happen and then when lars of course everyone hates lars why because why you know Everyone just likes to hate Lars for some reason, look back on it. You know, good for him. He, he did all of us bands that would love to be in his position a favor by trying to stop people stealing music, you stealing music. At least with Spotify, you you can pay for it or you got to deal with the ads and all that crap if you don't want to pay for it. But um, yeah, I don't mind the online stuff at all. I mean, I do miss in some downtime when you're bored and you're looking for something to do. I do miss going to the record store and just waltzing around Tower Records for three hours, just looking at everything and you're not. Do I want this? I I missed it. And I used to do it all the time. I would stay there until I heard the 15 minute warning of you know stores closing in 15 minutes. If you got anything, 15 minutes, bring it up to the register. And I would sit there and wait till the last minute and then grab what <laughs> I wanted and I'd go up and like I'll take you this. You know. But it's 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 weird. The 360 thing though. No, I mean, unless you're a band that's actually doing well and established and making money, I guess it doesn't make a difference. But there's bands out there that you wouldn't think guys in the band they all have side hustles you know they all come home and some go back to work or some do other things podcasts and whatever production
0: work or whatever yeah
1: yeah i mean a lot of them and it's, it's different times you know i'm just grateful to be able to still be able to play music and do some shows but uh the whole you know, we're going to sell out the garden. It's like, no, we're not, you know. <laughs> I mean, never say never, but, you know, I'm just happy to play. I'd play Dingbats the rest of my life where we could pack it out, you know, because when that place is packed, it looks awesome in there. It's a sea yeah. of heads, and it's like, uh, it's just, you know.
0: It just got to work. The last time I was there, their, their, air, their, their AC was broken again. <laughs> really? Yeah, we were there to see uh, Edema. Actually, I mentioned Ryan, who was on the last episode, as the singer yeah. for Edema. Now it was Edema, Crazy Town, Head PE, and and Flaw. And oh it was God. hot as balls. Yeah, they called it the New Metal Revival Tour, and it was just hot as balls in there. And a friend of mine who lives in the area and frequents the place, he's like, "Yeah, it broke the day before." <laughs> I was like, "Fuck, that sucks." And like, I'd been there one other time where the where the air went out. I went to see Psychostick, and uh, so. But no, I love that place. I love I love Dingbats. I love. Now let me that, ask you,
1: how how was the uh, how was the crowd for that show? Was it crowded?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty packed. It was, it was pretty packed. And then there was also, there was some fun, just, you know, you always, the the people watching is always funny at, at a show or anywhere. But there was, <laughs> there were these there was people. There were some characters. <laughs> yes, yes. Charlie was at that show as well. And there were some people next to us. There was, like, this girl that was, like, humping a dude from behind while, like, trying to grind against another dude behind her. It was, there was That's, some, uh Yeah. But yeah, no, it, it, was, it,
1: it was pretty busy. It's funny that. because we did arenas with Edema uh, and Crazy Town. We were playing large theaters back in the day, and it's just so crazy, man. And then it's like, yeah, so Edema, those guys, we toured with them on the Music as a Weapon tour, and they were high up on the bill, man. It was, it, it's just so strange, <laughs> the, the new metal thing and Flaw. We did some shows with them. Damn, a long time ago. I can't believe it's been that long.
0: Well, that's the thing, man. Like, when you said before, I don't know if we said it in the episode or when we were talking before, but that it's been nearly 20 years since Stereo Mud broke up. Like, yeah. it's just so weird to me that, like, I'm getting to that point, that there's bands I've been into for 20 years. There's friends that I've had for 20, you know, this year was 20 years since I graduated high school. Like,
1: yeah,
0: getting old. It's crazy, <laughs> man.
1: I was like, what, Stereo Mud broke up July of, I think, 2004, three. Four, three, that's what, eight, 19, 19 years ago. Oh my god. Yeah,
0: wow. That's a, a long time.
1: <laughs> it didn't feel like it, you know, because I've seen the guys many times over the years. Right. right. That it just it went so fast. Yeah, Yeah, now uh, Corey's a a guitar player now in Seether, you know. I've been trying
0: to follow all of you guys since that band split up. I followed Corey into, because I didn't know Corey, I didn't know Stuck Mojo, so I didn't know Corey before Stereo Mud, but, you know, I followed him into uh, iEmpire. Yep. And then and then you do what you with Blackwater Rising, you know, when when Dangerous New Machine was going on. I follow I followed that. I've I've always been a fan of Life of Agony. So I've been kind of following all of you guys onto to all of the other stuff that you've done.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, it's good to see everybody still doing what they do, you know, you know, every time I when, when me and Joey talk, you know, uh, we'll go out to dinner, whatever, hang at his house, do whatever we always flow it out there like what if we got back together and did some whatever you know we always comes up, and i don't think anyone in the band would be opposed to doing something if we ever did it wouldn't be some huge thing it would be for us you know what i mean and it it would be fun it would be fun it would be interesting to see what how, how five idiots would be in the same room again together writing a new song or whatever and Yeah, I mean, Um, you guys could do something
0: like – they have that that festival down in Virginia, the Blue Ridge Rock Festival. Yeah. And, like, uh, God forbid, it was huge
1: in Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they they
0: announced that they were doing a reunion – you know, just for that festival and like saliva is doing a reunion with their original singer like just for that festival yeah. so like even though you guys all have other shit going on like you know maybe you could do something like that like just for a show just for a fest yeah kind of J- thing. You
1: know, joey threw it out i don't know a month or two ago we were on the phone and he was like hey he thinks of it every now. you know he'd throw on us my wife always plays this stuff she loves it and she never got to see me play live with them Man, I wish you guys would get back together. I'm like, we're not getting back together. She's like, ah, why not? And I'm like, everyone's busy. Ah, oh, whatever. You know, get back together. Just doing. I'm just being selfish. I was like, yeah, I know. But uh, you know, with Life of Agony and Seether and whatever, it's like, why we we'd be able to pull something off in Europe. We never been there. You know, we could do a little run over there probably. And you know, it's it's fun to talk about. You know, it's. just, it, even, it never happens. It, it's still nice to be able to get on the phone with those guys and talk about it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Absolutely. Just
1: to reminisce and talk about the good stuff, not the bad stuff, because it's right, very right. easy. It's very easy for anyone to just sit and talk about all the bad times. Yeah, just point
0: fingers good. and it's your fault, your fault. That's ah, stupid. And,
1: yeah. and it was nobody's fault. It was five five idiots and, and we. we you know, made some good choices. We made some bad choices, but in the end, we're we'll always be tied together with that band. My wife just texting me now. She's getting hungry. <laughs> right, well, I only had
0: one other question for you, which is, what's next? I know that you guys, as you mentioned, Blackwater Rising has has released uh, a couple of singles, and uh, I think you said before that there's you know more more to come. Um, do you guys have any any show plans, or is it just really work uh, releasing music at this point?
1: Planning on shows, I just don't know when. I think we we got offered i think we were supposed to do a show out here on the island with prong but that didn't happen because i'm going to be out of the country when they play otherwise that would have been a great show so i think there's something coming up november december for us i just can't remember where and with who okay but um they'll there will be dates coming after we rehearsed the other night on friday you know to get the cobwebs uh cleaned up we all went in the room and you know we're all looking at each other like, uh, do you remember the song? And we had the set list on the floor. And we're like, all right, well, we have a new batch of songs that we have to learn now. And then we have to relearn all the other stuff. Cause I was like, I would we were just kind of like play a song, mess it up. All right. And it wasn't that bad, you know, for not being in a room as a live band for two years. And we just went through it, had some fun with it. So now we're going to get our rehearsal schedule back up and running to weekly, go in a room weekly and just jam. And, we're quick man we know how each other plays and by the next rehearsal we'll be right back up to snuff and ready to go so shows will be happening sooner than later
0: and then do you have a uh, any plans for for a release of an album or, or more yeah, i know you said there's a that video coming
1: no yeah because we're still in the midst of recording it i still have to finish off some stuff and i i'm sure rob has a couple of more songs that i have to learn actually he does have a couple of more songs that i have to learn and do my leads for and whatever, and we'll go in and hammer those out. And uh hopefully, I would say, if, if not the end of the year, early in the beginning of next year. Okay.
0: All right. Well, I definitely look forward to 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 all of that and and seeing seeing uh, you know last couple of times I saw the band, you were not in the band anymore. So look forward to seeing the band again with you you back in the band cool. and uh, and you know whatever else whatever else may
1: come. Awesome. Yeah, well that's where it's at now. It's just Blackwater rising from here on out. And you know, if I throw a curveball and put out something of my own and uh, you, know, you know, I have music written that is nothing to do with anything but my own stuff, but I just don't I just have to find the time to do it and okay. just do something. But other than that, it's it's Blackwater rising full steam ahead and that's it.
0: Rising with their latest single, Jokes on You. I want to thank John for being on the show. Like I said at the top, it's been a long time, and I was happy to finally be able to have this awesome conversation. If you want to follow John on social media, you can find him on Instagram at jfaderuso. You can follow Blackwater Rising on Facebook and Instagram at Blackwater Rising, and you can follow them on Twitter at BlackwaterRiseIn, with no G at the end for... For some reason, you can also follow Jay Bunny's Music Hub on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Just search Jay Bunny's Music Hub. Don't forget we have a Patreon if you are so inclined, and you can also follow Charlie on social media at Charlie underscore the underscore chameleon on Instagram and the underscore chameleon underscore underscore on Twitter. And don't forget, guys, if you believe in supporting music the way I do by buying it. You can also follow at Industry Embers on Facebook and Twitter and post or tweet your music purchases with the hashtag music B-U-Y, or it's BuyMusic, B-Y-E. As for what is next for the show, um, I may or may not have mentioned Charlie is becoming more involved in the show, although they were not too noticeable on this episode. They were just kind of hanging back and getting a feel for how it goes. Charlie will definitely be... On the shows as as often as they can be and has actually started to send out interview requests uh, on their own for stuff so we'll see how that goes I'm also always sending out requests and receiving requests for interviews it's mostly coming down now to time all the adult responsibility and shit having a house and you know all that boring crap but as I always say we're gonna keep this going until it doesn't make sense to do so anymore. I, I really enjoy doing this and, and don't want it to go away, so it won't. I don't have anything specifically booked at the moment, but like I said, we've got emails out there. We've got emails coming in. Uh, Renfair will be wrapping up in a couple of weeks, which will give Charlie and I some more free time to hopefully get some stuff done with the show. So keep an eye on any ear out. I think that that is all that I have got for you guys today. I want to leave you with a song from... The band that John was in when I discovered him, which was Stereo Mud. And even though they weren't around for very long, Stereo Mud was always a favorite band of mine, you know, even though they were only around for a couple of years. And so it was really hard to pick a song. But what I decided on was the song from their second album, Every Given Moment, Drop Down. My favorite fucking songs. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Until next time, guys i